Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Unite Us initiative. As New York Governor Kathy Hochul in the White House work out the details of a shelter in New York City for migrants, the governor made a sweeping new request this week. The Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus reports. Hochul wrote to President Biden asking the administration to send more resources to New York and expedite work authorizations for asylum seekers. The Democrat held what was billed as an address to New Yorkers Thursday. I do believe we have a moral imperative to help these new arrivals. I'm grateful to the counties that have welcomed and supported the migrants, and we will continue to partner with them. But to level with New Yorkers, bearing much-needed changes at the border, there does not appear to be a solution to this federal solution problem anytime soon. And that's exactly why I need to talk to you today. This crisis originated with the federal government, and it must be resolved through the federal government. Hochul's letter outlines four requests significant financial assistance for New York City and New York State. That request comes after Mayor Eric Adams projected a $12 billion budget impact from handling the 100,000 migrants who've arrived there. The state has committed $1.5 billion, and Hochul says that could rise to $4.5 billion next year on the current trajectory. More shelters on federal property, reimbursement for the cost to the state of deploying the National Guard, Hochul says the state is spending $22 million a month to deploy nearly 2,000 Guard members for humanitarian operations and the expedited work authorizations for asylum seekers. To that end, Hochul says the State Department of Labor will work to connect asylum seekers to jobs so they can begin working as soon as federal approvals are obtained. The state is opening a portal enabling businesses to say they would welcome such employees. Hochul also blamed Congress for not tackling immigration reform. If you're represented by a Republican, please ask them to stop politicizing people's lives, stop fighting President Biden's comprehensive smart solutions, and work together towards solving this. If you're represented by a Democrat, ask them to support my plan for more engagement and direct support from the administration. Jackie Bray is the State Homeland Security and Emergency Services Commissioner she was asked whether it's safe to house so many migrants in temporary shelters. The vast, vast, vast majority who are here are here to be law-abiding, productive members of New York City and New York State, and they are working very hard to provide for themselves and their families. Um, there have obviously been a couple high-profile incidents uh, that, that law enforcement engaged on and took appropriate action. Um, but I do not believe that New Yorkers uh, need worry about um, the safety or security of having um, new Americans as their neighbors. Hochul says she won't require counties outside of New York City to accept newly arrived migrants. Saying its services are strained, New York City has bused migrants upstate, leading to local opposition and emergency declarations. 
But the governor says the right to shelter mandate is unique to New York City. This is an agreement that does not apply to the state's other 57 counties, which is one of the reasons we cannot and will not force other parts of our state to shelter migrants. Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty, a Democrat from the Bronx, spoke with reporters at the state fair in Syracuse Thursday. He says the state is doing the best it can. These are humanitarian uh, situations, and I don't think we should be paying politics with it. And also, um, as much as uh, it's focused on the state right now, you know, immigration, migrants, asylum seekers, that's all under the federal government's jurisdiction. And so we really need the federal government uh, to step up and be helpful to us. The White House says it will continue to coordinate with the city and the state and once again called on Congress to pass comprehensive immigration reform. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Ian Pickus. The company hired by New York City to coordinate services and the relocation of migrants upstate is being investigated by State Attorney General Tish James. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas explains. Earlier this year, New York City Mayor Eric Adams contracted with DocGo, a mobile medical services and transportation provider, to bus asylum seekers upstate to municipalities, many of which said they were unprepared to receive them. Some migrants have reported being deceived and silenced by DocGo, which received a letter seeking information from James' office on Monday. That development was reported by the New York Times. DocGo received a $432 million contract from Adams' administration to care for the more than 100,000 asylum seekers who've strained New York City services. In the Schenectady County town of Rotterdam, residents of the Super 8 Motel were evicted to make way for the migrants. 111th District State Assembly member Angelo Santa Barbara is among public officials who called for the Attorney General to step in. The Democrat welcomes news of James' involvement. So it's an important development. It's a crucial, uh, a crucial step towards tr finding out what happened here exactly, who was responsible, whether it's a motel owner, uh, whether it was DocGo, uh, officials in New York City, the legality of these abrupt evictions without advance warning, as well as any other breaches of fundamental rights. We have to ensure things like this do not happen again. This is a situation that shouldn't have happened in the first place, could have been avoided. Unfortunately, we didn't see that. And now uh, with the attorney general going forward, we hope to see accountability here. Albany County Legislature Chair Andrew Joyce, a Democrat, also asked the attorney general's office to intervene with migrants also being housed in the town of Colony. I look at it as a bit of a, a public health emergency. Um, you know, it's a humanitarian emergency. And you know, as this thing develops and as it progresses in Albany County, you know, now that they're here and, and they're they're somewhat settling into you know, the community and into Albany County, some of these issues are starting to arise. And you know, the situation is developing, so we just need to react, you know, as the situation develops and you know, we're seeing now that they're settled here and they're coming in and they're moving about the community and, and trying to find work and um, you know, medical appointments and food and, and all these different types of requirements. Um, you know, it's like any other emergency that you're experiencing in the community as things progress and evolve, you just need to adapt. And at this point, you know, we've seen with DocGo you know, some, some shortfalls you know, that have occurred, but these are human beings, um, new Americans and and you know, new arrivals and 
there's what the local government officials are saying, and there's what the vendors are saying, and there's a bit of a disconnect there. According to a Siena poll released Tuesday, 82% of voters say the influx of migrants is a serious problem. Public opinion exacerbated by the communication breakdown between government representatives and DocGo. Democratic Albany County Executive Dan McCoy says all he ever wanted was information. The CEO did meet with my staff last week. Things have gotten better. We, we finally getting clear cut uh, information of what we needed, how many, you know, kids, what are their age ranges, what languages do they speak? And one of them, there's like one or two languages we couldn't even identify. Um, so these are things that we want to make sure that we're helping them integrate into the community. So, uh, yeah, it was a large. And, and we reset that rest number so that I did, to, you know, reach out to the Attorney General's office to investigate the contract, to look at it and make sure we're holding them accountable. In the Capital Region, DACO representatives have attempted to prevent the migrants from speaking with WAMC News. DACO responded to a request for comment by email, writing in part it looks forward to working with the AG's office in the same manner and providing the requested information expeditiously. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. This week, I spoke with Dr. Don Levy, director of the Siena College Research Institute, about the latest Siena poll, which takes a look at how New Yorkers feel about the influx of migrants in the state. I'm glad that you asked about that poll. I think it's a really important poll. I think it's a, it's an important issue. Over 80 percent of New Yorkers say that this is a, a serious problem. But let's back up one step. Um, the first question, I was talking about question order. The first question that we asked um, when we started to move over to the issue of, of migrants coming to New York was a question about whether uh, looking back over the last 20 years. So the first time a respondent heard the word migrant was we asked, looking back over the last 20 years or so, would you say that uh, migrants resettling in New York has been more of a benefit or more of a burden to the state of New York? Um, so we wanted to invite people to, to take a, a longer-term perspective. Uh, what we found was uh, a decided plurality, 46% of New Yorkers, feel as though the migrant resettlement over the past 20 years has been more of a burden, only 32% that it has been more of a benefit. Democrats, uh, plurality of Democrats think it's a benefit, but Republicans overwhelmingly, 67 to 14, say it has been a burden. Uh, our friends and neighbors here in upstate, more of a burden at the rate of 45%, benefit 28%. I bring that up because in another series of polls that we have done where we invite CEOs of um, New York State companies to talk about the workforce, uh, we have repeatedly found, for example, that uh, while 40% of New York CEOs say they're looking for workers, only 14% believe that there is an ample supply of workers trained and ready to come fill the jobs that they have available. Um, so the long-term perspective on migrant resettlement uh, may solve um, or may address that need for workers, but currently New Yorkers feel it is an enormous problem and 
right now, when asked to look back over 20 years, um, a plurality, nearly half of all New Yorkers, nearly half of upstaters are inclined to say that migrant resettlement here in New York or here in upstate has been far more of a burden than it has been a benefit. When we asked, um, would you rather accept and assimilate um, migrants to the state of New York, or do you think New Yorkers have done enough and should now work to slow the rate of migrant resettlement? They're even more. 58% of New Yorkers say, you know what, I think we've done enough. We have to slow the rate at which migrants are coming to New York. Only 36% say we should continue to accept and assimilate. So at present, um, the degree to which we're having a problem with the influx of migrants has certainly penetrated public opinion. And there is a sense that at this point in time, New Yorkers say we've got to slow. In terms of who's doing the best job right now of dealing with the migrant influx, the migrant crisis, public opinion is very negative on all our major leaders. Adams, Governor Hochul, we see a large percentages saying that they don't think that either the mayor or the governor are doing a good job, even more so by nearly two to one. New Yorkers feel that the Biden administration is doing no better than a fair, if not poor job. The only major figures that New Yorkers feel are doing a so-so job are their local elected officials, which of course varies by community. So at this point in time, New Yorkers clearly feel as though something's got to be done. And the sense right now is that we should slow the migrant relocation here, even though our corporate leaders may very well be saying that in the long run, they need more people in order to fill the jobs that they currently have available. There's one question here that we're really not getting at. I think we're hinting around at it, but let me ask you this. When you're asking them these questions, you know, for example, more than three-quarters of Republicans and 60 percent of independents say New Yorkers have done enough and must now slow the flow of migrants to the state rather than accept and help assimilate. Why? Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're certainly not asking the why question. I mean, that's left to you and to I to interpret. I think that one insight is that we have tracked for quite a while a couple of things. One is the issue of crime in New York. And New Yorkers have for quite some time now felt as though crime is a serious problem. There may very well be some whose opinion is that there is some sort of connection between influx of migrants and some degree of crime potentiality. Especially, I think, when you cite the Republican Party as being in that 60 percent and the rhetoric coming out of the political party itself. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the migrant issue has been politicized. Certainly, many politicians will tie it to the events at the southern border, various actions taken by the governor of Texas, by the governor of Florida. And so this has been a heavily politicized issue. And we were concerned in the poll that as soon as we said the word migrant, even though the first time we introduced it was we were asking people to think back over the last 20 years, that as soon as you heard the word migrant, it activated the political sentiment. And I think when you look at the cross tabs, that is a legitimate interpretation of what took place there. The other thing that I'll mention is the general sense of how we're doing as a state, how we're doing as a country. You know, is this country, is this state on the right track or is it headed in the wrong direction? And it's a number that you gloss over, but 
it says a lot. Right now, most recently here in New York, only 40% think that the state's on the right track, nearly half, 48%, 75% of Republicans, 62% of independents say we're in the wrong direction. Well, what does that mean? That means that people are concerned about their lives, their future, their level of opportunity, their economic well-being, and they don't feel as though our leadership is doing an adequate job of addressing the state's problems in a way that will make their life better. And when they turn on the news, they listen to reports, and they hear about thousands of migrants suddenly coming to the state of New York who are desperately in need, but many New Yorkers feel as though they have needs and that the state, that current events are not adequately addressing their needs, perhaps. So how? How can we absorb this other group of people? And perhaps, in addition to the politicization of the issue, there's a little bit of there isn't enough to take care of these people at this point, despite the sentiment of many to give me your tired, give me your poor. But at this point, a majority of New Yorkers are saying, not now. That's Dr. Don Levy, director of the Siena College Research Institute, home of the Siena Poll. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us on this week's Legislative Gazette as we sit here on a Friday at the very edge of a very important weekend for horse racing in Saratoga Springs with the running of the Travers Stakes. Thousands of people will flood the small city as they do each year to place their bets. Saratoga officials say without the horse racing industry, Saratoga couldn't be the upscale city that it has become. However, not everyone supports the horse racing industry or the races in Saratoga. Enter Patrick Batuello, founder of Horse Racing Wrongs, a 5013C nonprofit committed to ending what they call the cruel and deadly horse racing industry in the United States. In fact, horse racing's new federal authority says it's now investigating this summer's equine fatalities at Saratoga Racecourse, where so far 13 horses have died. Welcome back to the Legislative Gazette, Patrick Batuello. Thank you, David. It's worth reminding people, I think, Patrick, because we have spoken before on this program, about how you came to form such an organization. Well, actually, I was writing an animal rights blog for the Times Union going back to 2013. And when I started researching horse racing, I found there was a dearth of information on the racing industry, specifically how many horses were dying and the other attendant cruelties. And second, there was no organization in the country taking this industry on. So I felt like it was a major void in the animal rights community. And so we started Horse Racing Wrongs, and we've grown by leaps and bounds since. Speaking of the horse racing industry, we've seen a lot of tracks closing down, and you've detailed some of that as well, and you keep track of how the horse racing industry is in severe decline. Yeah, since the year 2000, 43 tracks have closed around America, and in that time, only two new tracks have opened, and only because they are being heavily subsidized by taxpayers. In fact, here in New York, without the $230 million per year that the New York racing industry receives, nine of the 11 tracks would have closed 15 years ago. That's a fact. And the only reason Belmont would still exist is because of the Belmont stakes that one weekend where they are successful. 
The only self-sufficient racetrack in New York is Saratoga. And across the country, there are maybe five or six tracks in addition to Saratoga that are truly successful on their own. This is an industry that is in steep decline. All the metrics are down some 50% of what they were just 20, 30 years ago, including the full crop, which is the number of new thoroughbreds registered to race each year. It's down to 17,000, where it was 40,000 maybe 25 years ago. The younger generations are not interested. That's twofold. One, because there is more competition for the gambling dollar. But second, there are changing sensibilities. We are looking at this through a fresh lens, and that was our goal from the beginning, to get people to approach horse racing from a fresh, new perspective. Stop thinking of it as a sport and look at it like you do dog racing, which, by the way, is all but dead in America. There are two dog tracks left in the entire country, and even more telling, dog racing is banned on moral grounds in 42 states, including right here in New York. So it's the same exact thing to how the animals are being treated. In fact, I would argue that horse racing is worse because of slaughter, and yet Racing gets this pass under the banner of sport, and there is no better example of that than each summer here at Saratoga. And I believe you said this in the past, you don't have no illusions that you're going to be able to shut it down solely. It's going to take the public. It's going to take more than just right. one person. Absolutely. The reality on the ground is that at least the uh, announced attendance is about a million people per summer at Saratoga. It's clearly a successful venue, and it will be one of the last few to close. So we're a long ways off. But but as far as the subsidies are concerned here in New York, we have legislation. We were part of a coalition that introduced legislation in the New York State Legislature. What's the coalition? It's and Horse Racing Subsidies Coalition. It's a broad coalition with animal advocacy groups, but also education groups. Because remember, all this money that the racing industry is receiving, $230 million per year, comes at the expense of education. School children are being cheated out of a billion dollars every four years to prop up this declining industry. Since 1978, attendance at Belmont Park is down 88%. Attendance at Aqueduct is down 94%. So again, the only successful track is Saratoga. That's it. And Saratoga does benefit from those subsidies under the Naira umbrella. That's those three tracks. And so the casino at Aqueduct helps prop up Saratoga Racecourse to a certain extent. In fact, 75% of the industry is being propped up by taxpayer money. Yeah, well, let's talk about the horses for a moment, because we hear these comments all the time from people in the industry. Oh, we treat the horses so very well. And we also see many reports about owners who drug their horses and get caught. And we know about how they're taken from city to city on the racing circuit and what that means. Can you fill us in more clearly on how the horses are treated? Because in New York state government, they are listed in the ag and markets sector. They're treated as products. They're legal property, chattel, by definition. So you mentioned drugging. The drugging and doping is the least of the wrongs regarding horse racing, and that's the problem. But the abuse and the cruelty starts almost immediately. These horses are stripped from their mothers and herds as mere babies. They are then broken, which is an industry term meaning to be made pliant and submissive, and then they are thrust into the system. From there, so a horse doesn't mature until six, Racehorses are typically put into this intensive grinding at 18 months, long before their bodies are fully mature. And that's the primary reason that they die in such shocking and appalling numbers is they're racing on unformed skeletons with unformed bodies. But, but, but Patrick, devil's advocate here, aren't they born to race? Don't they love to race? Yeah, that's the industry line, that they're born to race and they love to compete and it's all nonsense. So it's a great question, David. 
Perhaps the worst of it that we do to these horses as a society is we lock them in tiny 12 by 12 stalls for over 23 hours a day. So these are naturally social herd animals, horses, and they are locked in these stalls. And we see the same stereotypies that we used to see with the Ringland elephants, the bobbing, the weaving for the horses, the uh, kicking and the digging and even self-mutilation. These are clear and unequivocal signs of mental and emotional duress that these animals are enduring. And that's something that will never change because these are assets, as you mentioned, and they will never allow these horses to roam free in an open pasture with other horses and just be a horse because they need to protect that investment. But that's the cruelty. It's day in and day out. It's over 23 hours a day. They're locked in intensive solitary confinement. As you mentioned, they're commodified. They're classified as property, legal property. So typically, these racehorses will change hands multiple times, leading to things like 90% of active racehorses suffering from chronic ulcers. And in states that give me full necropsy reports, like Kentucky, California, Maryland, I see time and again four, three, even two-year-old horses, adolescents all, dying with chronic conditions like osteoarthritis and degenerative joint disease. That's not why they died, mind you, but the necropsy noted that sometimes they have it in all four limbs, chronic osteoarthritis. So that just speaks to that intensive, unremitting grinding of those bodies. And and it happens everywhere, not just at the cheap tracks, but of course at Saratoga too. And then one other thing I'd like to point out, last summer we were protesting at Saratoga and a professional photographer was there taking shots of us out front and she was friendly to our cause. And she said, you know, I'm going into the track. I was going to take some pictures of the patrons. Is there anything you'd like us to look for? And Nicole, my partner said, could you take shots of the horse's heads and all the paraphernalia that they have on them? And she did. And they were powerful images. And of course, I'm seeing abuse, the chains and the straps, and then of course the bits. And a retired Tusk professor, a specialist and expert in the equine ear, nose, and throat, talked about the metal bits that all racehorses race with, okay? He says not only do those bits cause pain because they're wedged into the soft palate of the horse's mouth, but because horses are obligate nose breathers, they are not able to use a tight lip seal like they would in a natural situation because of these bits. And they're taking in air. And he said, and these were his words, this is an expert, mind you. He said that all those horses running in Saratoga that day were going to have a feeling of asphyxiation, feel like they were suffocating, and he likened it to waterboarding. And that's something that no one ever thinks about are the bits. So that's just another example of the cruelty that these animals endure in addition to being killed. He is Patrick Batuello, the founder of Horse Racing Wrongs. You can find out more at horseracingwrongs.com. Patrick, I appreciate your passion, your commitment, and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today on the Legislative Gazette. Thank you so much for having me, David. As always, I appreciate you giving me the forum. And that about does it for this week's show. The Legislative Gazette is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. You can listen to the Legislative Gazette anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Look for program number 2334. And join us again next week at the same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.